Show me your face Fill up the space My world needs you right now My world needs you right now As a deer longs for flowing streams So my soul longs for you, O God My soul thirsts for God For the living God When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night While people say to me continually Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul How I went with the throngs And led them in procession to the house of God With glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving A multitude keeping festival Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God for I shall praise him, my help, and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again, my help and my God. Fill up the space My world needs you right now My world needs you right now I need thee, oh, I need thee every hour. I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. It's a blessing to be out here at Hurricane Ridge this morning. Every time I look at these mountains, I'm reminded of the majesty of God and how everything is moving by the power of God, that everything needs God. And man, the crowning glory of his creation needs God as well. And so as I stand here and I feel the wind blowing and the leaves waving and the birds chirping, everything that hath breath 
has the ability to praise the Lord. And as we think about praise today, I'm reminded of Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is not attributed to David, but it's attributed to one of the sons of Korah, and they were the musicians of the children of Israel. And so they led them in musical festivities. And so when we read Psalm 42, we find the sons of Korah reminding us that there is a way out of our turmoil. There is a way out of our depression. There is a way out of distress. And that's through praising God. And so today, I just want to hang as a title over our talk today, The Therapy of Praise. And just let me share with you how I came up with that title, because just like the body needs physical therapy, when there's something that needs to be ministered to or reset or repaired, so our souls need spiritual therapy. Spiritual therapy takes place when God begins to do a work on the internal parts of our bodies, on our hearts and on our minds. And so God is the only one that can do that spiritual praise. And so I want to read Psalm 42 to you right now. And as we think about Psalm 42, uh, we see the narrative life of the psalmist. It's not David, but it sounds like David. But we see the narrative life of the psalmist, and he begins to talk about his distress and his depression. But one of the things we see in Psalm 42 is that the psalmist always turns back to praise. So let us look at Psalm 42. I just want to read these first three verses to you as a first part of our reflection today. It says, as the deer longs for the flowing stream, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me continually, where is your God? In these first three verses, we see the psalmist giving us the context of his situation in life. That for some reason, the psalmist is not able to make his way to the sanctuary. He's not able to make his way to the temple to praise God. And he uses this strong imagery of a deer looking for water, and he's unable to find the water, and he begins to pant. So the psalmist says, just as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. The psalmist lets us know that he has a thirst for God, and he won't settle for anything less than for God to meet his thirst, to quench his thirst. And I want to say to you today, don't settle for anything less. God is the only one that can quench our thirst. 
But it also talks about the longing of, of the psalmist that he has a longing for God, that he has an intimate relationship with God, and he is fully aware that somehow him and God are socially distanced and spiritually distant from one another. And so he longs for that, that time where he could praise God. And I love the expression that he said, uses. He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. There's an indication there where the psalmist is letting us know that sometimes we have other gods that we turn to, but they're not living gods. And he, he's really saying that there's a form of idolatry sometimes in, in humanity that we seek to quench our thirst from the gods of this world, the little gods with a little g, that cannot quench our thirst. And so he says that my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The question comes today, have you found, are you looking for somewhere else to quench your thirst or someone else to quench your thirst? Your possessions can't quench your thirst. No relationship can quench your thirst. Money can't quench your thirst. Only God is able to quench our thirst. And that's what the psalmist reminds us of today. And he says, when shall I come and behold the face of God? When shall I come and behold the face of God? What he's saying here is, one writer puts it this way, that I will come and behold the face of God. And for the believer in the Old Testament, when they use the, the phrase, the face of God, they're talking about going to the temple because that's where they go to, to meet God, going to the church house, going to the sanctuary because it was believed that that's where God was. And so he says, I, I long to see the face of God in the sanctuary because that's where we go to meet God. So I think many times as we stand here, as I stand here today, we're not able to go into the sanctuary like we used to go. And there's a longing to get back to the sanctuary. There's a longing to see brothers and sisters. There's a longing, first and foremost, to see the face of God. But here's the thing I want us to understand, that the face of God is not always in the sanctuary. You can see the face of God in your home. You can see the face of God in nature. You, you can see the face of God because God is not a local God that just resides in the sanctuary, but he resides with us and around us and above us. So this is what the psalmist wants us to understand because in his mind, uh, for God to be a living God, he He's everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. And so this phrase, living God, carries with it that idea that God is not just located in one location, but he's everywhere, and he walks with us, and he's with us. And if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. But I don't want to ignore the, the urging of, this, of the psalmist. There is a interplay in the psalmist's mind 
And what he's really struggling with is he feels like in some ways God is distant from him. And so there is tension between his feelings and his faith. And sometimes in the life of the believer, our feelings get the best of us. But that's where faith has to come in and faith has to get the upper hand in how we feel sometimes. Because we cannot base our faith and in the presence of God in our lives based on feelings. So this is what psalmist is saying here. And if we look at verse three, he says, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me continually, where is your God? So he's dealing with antagonism from within, but also antagonism from without. That they are those who knows that the psalmist is a person of faith and they know that he's in distress. And so they're asking the question, where is your God? Very much like Job and his friends, when Job was suffering, they sat with him for a long time, but then they began to question, Job, do you really know God? They begin to question, Job, what have you done that God has allowed this to come upon you? This is the same sense that we find here is that there are some who are asking and maybe even some of the psalmist friends asking, where, where is your God? Uh, some, someone in his family asking, where is your God? And so he has this antagonism from within. His own soul, his own feelings is questioning where is God? You know, there's an African proverb that says that if you can conquer the enemy within, the enemy without can do you no harm. And what that proverb's saying, if I can conquer my own doubts, if I can conquer my own fears, if I can conquer my own inhibitions, inhibitions, then the enemy on the outside can do me no harm. So this is where the psalmist is. First and foremost, he's got to conquer his own doubts. He's got to conquer his own feelings. And so when we read verses one through three, we find uh, this person, this man, uh, struggling with whether God is really there or present in his life. But then there's a turn of events in Psalm 4. I mean, in, 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 verse, in verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. So there's a turn in his thoughts, in his processing, as he's processing what's going on. He begins to remember how he used to go and make his way to the temple, not just by himself, but with the worshiping community. He makes him his way to the temple and he remembers how he felt when he went to the church house. He remembers uh, how the presence of God was, was there with him and his brothers and sisters as they made their way to the temple. And so he said, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. 
See, here's, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. The psalmist uses his memory to get him back on track because what happens sometimes, and this is what uh, Dallas Willard talks about, the reprogramming of the soul, uh, that sometimes the soul has to be reprogrammed because when we are exposed to things in the world and to ways of thinking in the world and ideologies in the world, the soul must be reprogrammed toward God. And so what we find in the psalmist's life is that the way he reprograms himself is he has this dialogue between his faith and his feelings, his heart and his mind. And he tells his soul, remember this, O soul, he tells his soul to remember what God has done and what God is doing. And sometimes we have to do ourselves like that. Sometimes when our feelings overwhelm us, our faith has to come into play and our faith has to reassert itself in our lives. Our faith has to remind us that God is bigger than our feelings. God is bigger than the challenges of life. Our faith has to remind us and reassert itself every day. So this is what the psalmist does. He says in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my help and my God. So he begins to ask his soul the question. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And so he begins to question his soul because his soul needs to be examined. His soul needs to be questioned. And so he begins to talk to the other part of himself, you know, all of us have what, what one theologian calls a committee of selves. In other words, there is me, myself, and I, and sometimes one person in the committee begins to talk the other person in the committee out of doing what's right. But I'm so glad that there is another person in our committee as believers, and that is God. And so when these committee of sales, me, myself, and I begin to have this inner dialogue, then our faith reasserts itself and begins to tell us what God is able to do. And this is what I love about the psalmist is that he does not allow his feelings to get the best of him. He does not allow his distress or his depression or the outward circumstances of life to get the best of him. But what we find in Psalm 42 is that the psalmist continues to reassert his faith in God. And so he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. And this is where the spiritual therapy of praise kicks in. And this is what the psalmist does best. Whenever things are going south in his life, whenever things are going wrong, he does what he does best. He goes back to God. 
and he goes back to praise because praise, brothers and sisters, is good therapy. Just like our body needs physical therapy and exercise, so our souls need spiritual therapy and exercise. And so praise, in many ways, reasserts itself and reminds us of the goodness and the bigness of God. This is what the psalmist is doing right here. He's reminding his soul that God is bigger than that. He's reminding his soul that God is bigger than my feelings. He's reminding his soul that God is bigger than my enemies. He's reminding his soul that God is bigger than any challenge that I could be faced with. And that's good news, brothers and sisters, that God gives us the ability through remembering what he has done and remembering who he is to remind us that he's bigger than that. And so he says, hope in God. I shall again praise him. But God, you are my help and you are my God. Psalmist engages, as one writer says, in an internal dialogue between his faith and his feelings, but his faith gets the upper hand. That's my prayer for each and every one of us is that whenever doubt comes, whenever distress comes, whenever things are beyond the locus of our control, that faith will always get the upper hand. That's my prayer for us, brothers and sisters. But that's not all the psalmist tells us. There's something else I want to share with you in our next time we come together as we move to another section of this passage. does the psalmist remind us to allow our faith to get the upper hand over our feelings. But this faith that he reminds us of should also lead us into reprogramming our hearts to praise God. And when we praise God, we take the focus off of ourselves and put it on the God who can handle our situations. Sometimes we are tempted to have a pity party and say, woe is me. And we, we have a victim mentality. But our faith, when our faith gets the upper hand, we have the mentality of victors, that, we, that there is victory in our belief in God. And so when we praise God, we, we take the focus off, off of ourselves and put it on God. You know, it reminds me of the story that the late Dr. E.V. Hill told. He was the pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California. 
And on one particular Sunday, they had a wonderful worship service. He gave the benediction, got in his car, and began to drive down the road and head home. But he saw this old mother, and he was watching her, and every three or four steps she took, she raised her hand. And she, you could see her using her mouth and praising God. And so when he got to the stop sign, the old mother got to the stop sign, she, she raised her hand again. And so he pulled his window down and said, Mother, is everything all right? I notice every time you take four steps, you, you raise your hand. And she says to her pastor, you know, God has been so good to me today. And the worship service was so, was so powerful that I'm just praising God from the overflow. And so every time I take a few steps, I can't help but praise God because he's been so good to me. I think that's what the psalmist is telling us today, that praise should not just be relegated to the church house, but we, it should come from the overflow of our relationship with God. And so we can't help but praise God on Monday. We can't help but praise God on Tuesday uh, we're, because we're praising him from the overflow because our God is able to do exceedingly above and beyond all that we could ever ask or even think. So we must reprogram our minds to praise God because praising God, brothers and sisters, is good therapy for the soul. It's good therapy for the soul, I tell you. But not only does the psalmist tell us about faith getting the upper hand and reprogramming our mind for the therapy of praise, but then there's another statement that he makes here. He says, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts and all your waves and your billows have gone over me. He goes on to say, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer of the God of my life. And I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? Look at what the psalmist is saying here, he's reminding us, brothers and sisters, that when we praise God, we must also re reprogram our minds to pray. We got to reprogram our minds to pray. And what I love about the psalmist, we know that he's, he's not David, but he has the mentality of David because He's not ignoring his feelings. And God certainly don't want us to ignore our feelings because our feelings are legitimate. But what the psalmist is saying to us is that we've got to be vulnerable and share our feelings with God. Now, you know, you can't share your feelings with everybody. You can't share your thoughts with everybody, but you can certainly share your thoughts with God. God, he practices confidentiality. Uh, you, can, you can trust God and you can share your thoughts with him. And so the psalmist begins to say not only to himself, but he begins to reprogram his mind to the therapy of prayer. 
he says, and he begins to remember. He, he calls to remembrance. He, he relies on his memory of what God has done for him in the past. And it's certainly, if God has been faithful to him in the past, he can be faithful. He will be faithful to him in the present and faithful to him in the future. So he says, and I love this statement in verse 9, I say to God, my rock. And what he's saying, that God is his foundation. That when you stand on the rock, God will give you a sure-footed stance that you will not fall, you will not falter if you stand on the foundation of the rock. And this rock reminds me of what God is to us. That when we are on, on shifting sands, that we may be subject to fall, but when we stand on the rock, no matter what matter of issues you're going through, if you stand on the rock, God will make sure that you don't slip. And so this is what the psalmist says to us, but he also reminds us of the memory uh, when he went to the land of Jordan and of Mount Hermon from Mount Mazar. And he says in so many words that when he looks at nature, he sees the faithfulness of God. Uh, when he looked at Mount Hermon, and Mount Hermon is the one of the only mountains that has snow on top of it, and he re recollects Mount Hermon and Mount Mazar and the land of the Jordan. And so sometimes, brothers and sisters, we've got to remind ourselves when we look at nature and we see what God is, is able to sustain nature, he's able to keep the sun in its place and keep the stars in its place and keep the moon in its place, and never the two shall meet. We see the faithfulness of God even in nature. And if God can handle the universe, if he can keep everything in orbit and everything rotating, then don't you think he can handle your little problems? This is the faithfulness of God, that God is faithful in our lives, and that if he can handle everything in the world, we don't see the birds worrying. We don't see any, any of the animals worrying about what they're going to eat. And so we have to trust in the faithfulness of God that he's never let you down yet. And he certainly won't let you down now. So this, the psalmist is, is saying uh, to us today that we've, we've got to reprogram our minds to pray and seek the face of God. But it's interesting that the psalmist talks about the steadfast love. He says in verse 8, the day the Lord commands, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He says, he begins to talk about how faithful God is, his steadfast love, and that God will give you a song at midnight, and that God will give you a song because of his steadfast love. He will not let you digress too far in your distress and in your depression. God will lift you back up. Even in the midnight hour, even when things are dark, God says, I'm still present in the darkness of life. That even though you can't see, God has 20-20 vision in, in the dark of your life, and so you've got to be able to trust him. Then there's another 
refrain that he uses in verse 11. He says, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you disquieted within me? He says it again, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. And so the psalmist keeps reminding himself as he keeps reminding us that we got to have an internal discussion between our faith and our feelings and we've got to remind ourselves to hope in God. And that word hope is confident expectation that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is going to bring you out, that you know that, that every challenge that you go through has a shelf life, that it's going to expire, and that God is going to bring you through it, that trouble don't last always. You just got to keep your hope in God and have that confident expectation. But there's another greater reality in this psalm, and it points to another, another hope. And Peter calls him the blessed hope, Jesus Christ. And Jesus has been here before, and he's here with us now. And so we, we can have a confident hope that Jesus will walk with us, that Jesus will guide us, because at this time, the psalmist didn't know anything about Jesus in the flesh. But now we know that Jesus is real. And every day as Christians, he reminds us that he's real. So I want to say to you today that there's a, a blessed hope. There's, there's a hope beyond the hope that the psalmist is talking about. There's a hope in Jesus Christ that Jesus gives us a sure foundation. That Jesus gives us a hope that is greater than the psalmist's hope. And that hope is found in knowing him. And today you, and I just want to say to you today, and I finished my message, but I want to just reach out to you right now, is that you, if you feel like you're in a season of distress, a season of depression, a season that you can't seem to get yourself out of, I want you to know today that Jesus can pull you out of your distress. He can pull you out of depression if you put your hope in him. And I want to reach out to you today and I want to extend this invitation to you. Now, some of you may already know Jesus and, and I want you to make, uh, recommit your life to Jesus today. But if there's someone out there and you're listening to this message, I want you to know today that you can put your hope in Jesus Christ. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I thank you for the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for making Jesus available to me. Father, I ask that you forgive me for my sins and I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. And Father God, I thank you for Jesus and the awesome sacrifice, sacrifice he paid for me on Calvary. And Lord, I, I just give you the glory today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you've prayed that prayer with me today, at the bottom of the screen, I want you to go to that, that website, upc.org slash Jesus. And I want you to go to that website. And there's somebody there that wants to walk with you to seal the deal on you accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you need to be a part of a church family because it takes a church to raise a Christian. 
And so I want you to go to that website. There will be some prayer warriors. There'll be some spiritual advisors there. And they're waiting on you. They want to walk with you. And we want to walk with you as our, as, and be a part of our UPC family. Amen.